Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Jay Sigurd here. Thanks for joining me on today's broadcast. We are headed into part five of Intelligent Design. Again, this is a subtopic of the creation versus evolution discussion, which we've done a number of podcasts on. Again, I'm not sure how many parts we're doing for intelligent design, but this is one more, and I know there'll be one more after this for sure, and then we might wind down after that. But before we begin today, again, make sure you subscribe to these podcasts, and also, if you find it in your heart to leave a five-star review, that helps us tremendously getting the word out. Well, what can you expect today? We're going to delve into a couple more fascinating examples of intelligent design. For sure, we're going to cover the human ear. After that, it'll possibly be the metamorphosis of a monarch butterfly, which is unbelievably cool. Or we may do a different topic like the bombardier beetle or blood clotting cascade. Those might not sound as exciting, but um, there's so much to the metamorphosis of a butterfly I don't want to rush it, and I don't want to split it into multiple podcasts. I want to get that topic in one podcast, so we might do that at the beginning of the next podcast. We'll see how this goes. I I don't practice these ahead of time. I think they're more exciting to just kind of wing it as I go along. Again, lots of free resources on our website, thestartingpointproject.com. Videos, articles, and things like that. There's at least 34 free streaming videos right now and a few other videos and stuff. So check that out, thestartingpointproject.com. We have already defined intelligent design in the first episode. We talked about the difference between intelligent design and biblical creation. And then we were going to jump into a few examples. And here is another example. Last podcast was the first time we got into the actual examples. And we covered the... uh, bacterial flagellum, and then the woodpecker, which was kind of fun. So we're going to cover two more this time. And I mentioned last time some criteria that we could potentially use to see whether something exhibits evidence of having been designed or if it's just something nature could do on its own undirected over time. And the criteria we used were the words of Charles Darwin himself from The Origin of Species. He said, quote, If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down, unquote. So he was saying, if we ever find something in nature that is so incredibly complex, multiple parts working together in a specified fashion, and that you couldn't develop that creature by just, with an undirected process, getting one piece at a time over thousands or millions of years, his theory of evolution from particles into a cell and a cell into every other life form, uh, that's going to break down. That was his own criteria. In his mind at that time, this was 1859, in his mind, he didn't think he had any examples that would qualify, that were so complex that you could develop it by small changes over time. Well, uh, we probably had some back then, but we certainly have tons now. 
And there's a chance if he was alive today, if he was really being objective, he would say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. My theory cannot account for a lot of these things. Or he might have chosen to see it differently because we're we're talking about a worldview here. It's not just an academic debate. I've covered that in earlier podcasts. So let's get into something new. Here's another example that I think qualifies very well as evidence of intelligent design. We are going to talk about the human ear. You've probably seen them before. You may even have a couple of them yourself. We take them for granted. We use them every day. You're using them right now as you're listening to me. I'm using them as I'm listening to me. I'm probably less excited than you about listening to me, but that's okay. So the human ear. You might know a little bit about hearing at this point. We're going to go in a little more detail. And if it seems like I'm going through a lot of detail, it's only because I'm going through a lot of detail. But that's the whole point. This thing is so unbelievably complex and impressive. I think you're going to have your eyes opened as we talk about the ear. Proverbs 20.12 says the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. That statement makes sense to me when I see things like the ear or the eye and other components. To me, it just screams design. And infinite intelligence has created the world that we're living in, including our own bodies. Also from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5, verse 21 says, Hear this now, O foolish people without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Jeremiah in the Old Testament of the Bible is saying that people have eyes, but they're not seeing. They fail to see, and they have ears, but they're failing to hear. Not that these organs in their bodies aren't working. They have chosen with the will, the free will that they have, they have chosen. I don't want to see these things. I don't want to hear them. It's not what I want. I want a different outcome. And I think That's been my experience talking to a lot of skeptics who, again, are typically very intelligent. They have just chosen. They don't want certain outcomes, so they're going to avoid them at all costs. So let's get into the human ear here. First, we're going to talk about sound, because without sound, the ear probably wouldn't have a purpose. (laughs) So what is sound? Talk about sound waves. Sound does not work by having an air particle travel like a bullet across the room and into your ear. It's a wave, one air particle vibrating, which affects the one next to it. It makes that one vibrate, and then the next one, next one, next one. So it travels kind of like a wave across the room, across the city or whatever, into your ear, and then it causes the particles that are already sitting in your ear to vibrate. And it travels like 700 and 40 miles an hour. That's the speed of sound, normal speed of sound. If it's going through certain mediums, uh, it could change that. But normally, it's traveling about 740 miles an hour. Keep in mind, just before we jump into the parts of the ear, think about the perspective of someone who doesn't believe in creation or in design. Maybe they're an atheist. They don't even think God exists. 
No one designed this. This is just what happened. There was a big bang. Particles were moving around. We got a universe. We got living things. And then everything in the living things happened by chance. I mean, undirected forces of nature. There's nothing out there that was trying to achieve something specific. It's just stuff happens. And here we are, including the human ear. Consider all the features we're going to go through and ask, how does each intermediate change occur? Because there's lots of things we're going to look at. It doesn't all happen at once. So you have just one change and another and another. How does that occur? And how through undirected, unintentional changes to the existing complex DNA, how does all of that produce this immense system that we're going to look at with no forethought? Again, it's not like you have some creature out there that didn't have ears or anything even close to it whatsoever. But it says, you know what? I've heard really good things about ears. And so I'm going to hopefully make some mistakes when I copy my DNA and pass it on to my children. And then hopefully they'll make some copying errors to these mutations. And then their grandchildren will make these mistakes. And eventually our great, 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 whatever grandchildren, they will have ears and boy, are they going to love them. That's not going on. That's not happening. And the leading evolutionists don't believe that that's going on. They themselves do not believe that some creature needed or wanted something, and so therefore it evolved. We've covered that in earlier podcasts. So with that in mind, that mindset, as we go through the complexity here, imagine how did these things come about through undirected changes in the DNA, these mutations, which are generally copying errors in the DNA. How did that produce what you were about to hear all about? I also apologize for not having visuals. Kind of hard to do that with an audio podcast. I do have this in some of my videos. You can also look up stuff online to see, you know, the constructs of an ear and all the components that we're going to be discussing. But you'll still be able to capture the gist of all of this without even seeing these pictures here. So we're going to cover three parts of the ear. The outer ear, middle ear, and inner ear. Let's start with the outer ear. The thing that sticks out the side of your head is called the oracle or the pinna. It's the thing that helps you wear sunglasses. <laughs> you got somewhere to hook them. It does more than that. It happens to be shaped just right to capture sound frequencies that our brains can interpret. There's a lot of other frequencies out there, but our brains can't do anything with that. But it does capture the frequencies we can do something with, typically from anywhere from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. When you get older, that drops down to maybe 15 to 17 kilohertz, not up to 20, because we lose a little bit of our hearing. I have actually lost uh, a lot of my hearing and maybe even some of other people's hearing. Um, no, I've, it's, it is an issue, and you don't realize how much you rely on your hearing until you can't hear as well. It's a massive issue, and because I know how hearing works, I know what's going on inside my ear to cause the loss of hearing, which is kind of interesting. So... We're talking about the outer ear. Again, it's called the oracle, shaped just the right way to capture the frequencies our brain is later going to translate. Then you have the external auditory canal that's the hole going into your head. That's the ear canal. Now, you've probably used a Q-tip before. You know you don't want to take one of those things and shove it all the way in your ear. That would be a bad thing. So how do you get all the stuff and garbage that builds up way inside your ear. You can get the stuff that's further out, you know, put the Q-tip in a little way and get some of that wax and stuff out. 
But how do you get everything else out? Well, guess what? The cells that line this canal, the ear canal, are the only cells in your entire body that grow sideways. It's like a conveyor belt. It traps the garbage and it moves it out for you where you can get it with a Q-tip or it can come out on its own. But isn't that cool how that just happened by accident, you know, copying the DNA and oops, now we got these conveyor belt cells right there in that canal to bring the garbage out for us. Aren't we lucky that the cells in our eyes don't grow sideways or we wouldn't be able to see, but they grow sideways there in that canal. The wax that's in there, it just happens to have an antibacterial property, kills bacteria. Isn't that handy? When you get sick, it's often from germs coming in through your ear, your eyes, or your nose. Well, in your ear, the wax has an antibacterial property to help kill some of those germs. But again, that happened by accident, just particles banging together, making some mistakes in the DNA, and now, hey, voila, we have antibacterial properties there. That's really cool. Then at the end of this canal, that's the tympanic membrane. It's like a balloon. That's, yeah, your eardrum. So now you've got air particles in your ear in that canal that are being disturbed and they're vibrating back and forth and they're bumping into the balloon. Now this balloon is going in and out. It's vibrating back and forth. Now, let's think about pressure for a second. Picture a skyscraper. Do you think there is more pressure on the materials at the very bottom of that skyscraper or pressure on the materials out at the very, very top of the skyscraper? Well, there's going to be a lot more pressure on the bottom because the materials that are on the bottom are supporting the weight of all the materials on top of it. There's a lot more pressure at the bottom. It's the same thing in our atmosphere. There is more pressure lower down than higher up because air has weight. It's pretty light, but it does have weight, and so there's going to be more pressure at the bottom than higher up. If you were to climb up a mountain one mile, you would experience about a half of an atmosphere of pressure change. Now, a full atmosphere is, let's just say, roughly 14 pounds per square inch. A half of an atmosphere change in pressure is about 7 pounds per square inch. So you climb a mile up a mountain, and you would experience a change of about 7 pounds per square inch. But guess what? You don't need to go up one mile on the mountain for your ear to sense the change in pressure. All you have to do is go up one thirty thousandth of an inch. That's less than the thickness of a plastic wrap sheet. <laughs> so try this sometime. Get out some glad wrap and put it on the floor and then step up onto it. Don't trip. And your eardrum says, hey, the air is a little thinner up here. <laughs> That's very sensitive. Your ear is designed to, to detect the smallest changes in pressure. In fact, it can detect movements, your eardrum here, detect movements of a tenth of the width of an atom. And it can convert that into sound. And that's all sound is at this point. It's a balloon going back and forth. That's, it's absolutely fascinating, but it gets even better. That was the outer ear. Now we're going to talk about the middle ear. The middle ear houses the three smallest bones in your body, the malleus, incus, and stapes. We also call them the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup because it kind of looks like those objects. And again, they're the smallest bones in your body, and they don't weigh much. They weigh 52 milligrams. 
That's about one one hundredth of a teaspoon of water. So picture yourself holding just a small teaspoon of water. Take one one hundredth of that, and that would be the weight of these tiny, tiny bones inside your ear that are necessary for you to hear. These three bones provide a number of functions. First of all, they help increase sound by 30 decibels. The way they're connected together, they amplify sound. Why would they want to do that? Well, eventually the sound waves are going to go into the inner ear, into some fluid. We'll get to that in a minute. But once they get into this fluid, it dampens the sound. If you've ever gone underwater, uh, you can scream your lungs off and your friends can barely hear you above the water because the sound waves get dampened in the water. So first these bones are going to increase the volume before it goes back down again in the inner ear. And there are tendons on the malleus that help dampen sound. Let's say there's all of a sudden a jackhammer going off by your head. That's really loud. Well these tendons can grab onto that malleus to lessen the vibration, to lessen the amount of damage that might occur to the ear. And all that has to be pre-programmed to be controlled to do that in the brain. And again, that just happened because we were making mistakes in our DNA, you know, over evolutionary millions and millions of years. And that's just really cool how that all got constructed. And these bones help partially cancel out your own speaking. See, when you are talking, your vocal cords are vibrating significantly. In fact, you can put your hand on your throat when you're talking. You can feel the vibration of your vocal cords. Well, they're moving so much you can feel that. Well, your eardrum can sense the change of a tenth of a width of an atom, and now your vocal cords are just going back and forth like mountains going up and down. If these bones didn't help cancel out your own speaking when you were talking, you wouldn't be able to hear anything else around you. And that would be very, very detrimental. So the system of bones and then connected through the brain can help bring your own speaking down, the effect of your own speaking down. So yes, you can hear yourself, but you can also hear a train, you can hear people talking, music, and all these other things. Very, very complex system. But again, all that happened through just accidental changes to our DNA. Boy, did we get lucky. Then you have the eustachian tube. This is a tube that helps drain some fluid from the middle ear, but it does something else that you're very familiar with. If you've ever gone up in a plane, you get to a certain altitude and you might sense some pressure in your ears. You, you feel pressure inside your head and you can't hear as well. That's because of a pressure differential. So what do you do? You yawn, you open your mouth wide, you chew gum, and then you feel this pop and you can hear better again. This is what's going on. When you're down on the ground, the pressure outside your head is the same as the pressure inside your ear. So that little balloon, the tympanic membrane, your eardrum, can go back and forth very easily because it has the same pressure on both sides. It has no problem moving and detecting all the sounds. Now you go up in an airplane, there's less, less pressure higher up. So you're up in the airplane, there's less pressure in that cabin but you have the same amount of pressure that's inside your ear pushing out because that's the same pressure as when you were on the ground. So now, picture the pressure inside your ear pushing that balloon out, but it won't let it come back as much as it used to because there's less pressure on the outside, but more pressure inside pushing it out. It can't move freely like it was. Well, this eustachian tube opens up, 
equalizing pressure on both sides. Isn't that fascinating? Again, how that just happened, <laughs> making mistakes in the DNA, just wonderful. Certainly isn't evidence of design at all, right? All right, that was the middle ear, and I'm skipping a lot, but I'm giving you the highlights. Let's discuss the inner ear next. The inner ear is the most interesting portion of the ear, and there are two parts to it. Again, if you saw a picture of it, you know what I'm talking about. One half of it consists of three semicircular tubes, and they have nothing to do with hearing, but they have a lot to do with balance and your balance system. So you have three semicircular tubes, and it's very, very complex inside. There's fluid that flows through there. There's some calcium carbonate crystals that float on top of the fluid, and then there's some hairs that get agitated. So when you bend over, the fluid moves through these semicircular canals, and it moves the calcium carbonate crystals, which agitate the hairs, which creates some chemicals and things that then go to your brain and it tells your brain, you better put some pressure on the toes right now or you're going to fall over and crack your head open. So that your whole balance system, which is very intricate, is part of the inner ear there. If you get dizzy, it's because something's going on inside. They're very, very complex. I am glossing over that for now. We're going to almost skip all of that. And But again, that whole system that evolved by accident as well. Let's move to the second half of the inner ear, which does have to do with hearing. This is the cochlea. So picture a snail, or for my purposes, picture a snake all coiled up. So you got this coiled up snake. That's what the cochlea is kind of like. Now I want you to envision uncoiling the snake. And on the top half of that snake, there's a chamber. And on the bottom of the snake, there's a chamber. And there's also a chamber in the middle between the top and bottom of the snake. And next we're going to do a Gedanken experiment. <laughs> it's German. Einstein uh, used this. It's just a thought experiment. So I want you to think about this. I mentioned the snake. So picture a snake in front of you. The head of the snake is right in front of your face. You normally wouldn't want to do that, but it's a thought experiment. So you have a snake with the head right at your face and then... It's stretched out going away from you, so the tail is away from you. And you have a top chamber going to the end of the snake, and then a bottom chamber and one in the middle. Okay, eventually we're going to be getting into um, the inner part of the thing with, of this cochlea with the fluid and all that. But remember I mentioned three tiny bones, and the last one was the stapes. It's kind of like a plunger, and it plunges in the inner ear. It causes waves to go through the fluid that's in your inner ear. So picture you holding a tiny miniature plunger and you're plunging into the mouth of the snake that's in front of you. As you're doing the plunging, you are causing shock waves to go through fluid along the top half of that snake all the way to the end of its tail. And then there's a tiny hole in its tail that is connected to the bottom chamber. And so these waves go through that hole and then come back at you through the bottom chamber. When these waves go through the top half of the snake and come back through the bottom half, they agitate the stuff that's in the middle, the organ of corti. It's really, really complex. But when these waves go through there, it does a lot. It causes this 
top half thing called the tectoral membrane to go back and forth. So you got this one thing going back and forth now. And then when the waves come through the bottom, it causes the basilar membrane to go up and down. So that's all sound is at this point. It's this one thing going back and forth, another thing moving up and down, and it agitates stuff in between these little hairs that send a signal to the brain. And this is fascinating. When it sends that signal to the brain, it has been what we call an analog signal, like this wave going up and down and up and down. It converts it to a digital format, like ones and zeros, ons and offs. Ask yourself this question. What did our brains do the very first time in evolutionary history when they were receiving digital signals? Probably thinking, this stuff is so cool. I have no idea what it is, but it's cool. I mean, seriously, you have a brain that has evolved and it's been receiving analog signals, which is very, very complex how that would even happen. But let's say you got a brain, it's getting analog signals and it's doing what it needs to do. Now it's getting digital signals. What's it going to do with that? It has no idea what it means, so it can't possibly respond properly. It's information. It doesn't even know it's information. It certainly can't interpret it like a computer program, ones and zeros. But somehow the brain then takes these digital signals and converts them into proper responses, whatever needs to be done depending upon what it's hearing. With all that, and, and I have actually skipped a fair amount, and what we've looked at is very, very complex, and it all just kind of happened through making mistakes in the DNA over millions of years. Let's think of a practical example here of how our ears work. Picture yourself sitting in a restaurant. Let's think about all the different types of sounds you might hear while you're sitting there. First of all, you might hear some music playing over the ceiling speakers. Then a friend of yours is placing their order with the waiter. Another friend is talking on their cell phone. Another friend of yours is telling you directly about their day, but you're listening to the cell phone conversation because it's more interesting. Then you hear conversations at other tables. You're hearing noise from all the silverware usage. You're hearing noise coming from cooks in the kitchen. You're hearing a baby crying at a table behind you. There's pouring rain hitting the roof. There's traffic driving by and a horn honking and then a police siren off in the distance. Each one of those instances and sources is vibrating air particles. And then they're coming into your ear and your brain is interpreting all of that. So again, even though your friend is talking to you, you're listening to the cell phone conversation, but you're also recognizing that whatever song is being played over the speaker, that's one of your favorites. You love that song. Plus everything else going on in your mind from interpreting these signals. And think about this last one that I mentioned, the, the police siren off in the distance. So you're hearing everything else, all of your friends and the music, all that. And all of a sudden you're hearing a police siren. Guess what's actually happening? In the distance somewhere, there's a police car and the siren's going off. That siren is vibrating air particles. One particle hits the next particle right by the siren, which hits the next particle and the next one and the next one, next one, all the way across town until it hits the window of the restaurant where you're eating. Guess what happens to the glass in the window? The glass vibrates a tiny, tiny amount. 
Guess what happens to the air particles on the inside of the window? They get bumped by the glass moving a tiny, tiny amount. And then that particle right next to the window bumps the next one, the next one, next one, next one, next one, all the way across the restaurant until it starts messing with the particles that are in your ear, which are already moving in all different directions from all the other sounds, but you instantly recognize, hey, it's a police siren. I wonder what happened. Your brain sorts it all out, and we have no clue of how it could possibly do that. It is unbelievably complex. You even hear sounds that you don't hear. What, what does that mean? And I'm not talking about hearing things like, oh, you're just hearing things. No, let's say you're, you're at a football game with a friend and your friend says, wow, what a play. Did you see that blank in the end zone? Well, yeah, you, you saw it. It was a catch. Now, maybe your friend turned and you didn't quite hear the word catch, but you saw it your brain will often actually go through a short list of possibilities and throw a word in there for you so you don't even realize you didn't actually hear that word, but your brain filled in the blank for you. That is complex. That doesn't happen by making mistakes in DNA. And as we're winding down here, and again, I'm, I'm skipping a lot of details because you don't want to go into too much more detail when you're doing audio and all this. But think about your first baby picture but I don't mean the ones that your parents took of you to show their friends. I'm talking the, I'm talking the first possible picture, the human zygote. It's a fertilized egg. That's when you began. When that egg was fertilized, your life began. That would be your first baby picture, this human zygote. zygote. These things are small. They're so small you could fit 17 of them across the head of a pin. So these fertilized eggs are really small and that's how you started out. That's how I started out. That's how every single human being starts out. And every part that we just discussed for the human ear is programmed in that tiny zygote. It has to be pre-programmed in there or you wouldn't have any of that going on. And it knows how to make the ear components when to make them, where to make them, how to connect them to the brain. Everything is pre-programmed, sitting around in the goop of this human zygote. It's all pre-programmed there, including information instructions for every other part of your body, your nervous system, your spleen, your spine, your brain. All these things are pre-programmed in goop, just sitting in the, this tiny, tiny human zygote. But many people are willing to say, that's just an accident. Again, if things like this don't yield evidence of design and purpose, then please, I'm being very sincere, give me an example of what you would have to see to say, okay, this thing, that would be evidence of design. If we ever saw something like that, that would definitely be evidence of design. Because, I mean, this stuff is unbelievably complex and there are so many parts and you can't just develop one little part at a time and have it function. I'm not saying there aren't simpler ears out there. There are some creatures that have simpler versions of an ear that allow some sounds to come in. They can't really distinguish a lot of details, but they can tell if it's louder, if it's closer, further away. Yes, there are simpler ears, but you cannot stepwise take one of those and turn it into the human ear one piece at a time by undirected forces of nature. 
You can't. God did design different types of ears for different creatures and for what their needs would be. And you can't go from one to the other. So to me, this all screams evidence of design. And again, we we just scratched the surface. And not only do scientists not really have the evidence that this did evolve, they don't have good stories other than on a high level. Well, you know, over time, this creature, you know, developed this and they developed that and they use those generic phrases. Oh, this was just developed uh, through an evolutionary process or this was needed. It had an advantage and so it developed it. I don't argue that these things have advantages, but that doesn't mean that that's an explanation of how it came to be. It would be a massive advantage if I had $50 billion right now. But that's a far cry from explaining how I could actually get the $50 billion. (laughs) Having it is one thing, but actually getting it is another thing. And so, again, there's so much more. This is, I think, a great example, the human ear. Again, we're just scratching the surface here. Sometime look some of this up on the Internet to see either videos or at least pictures of these components. It'll blow you away. And we have it in some of our videos as well. I can already see I'm not going to have time for a second example. We spent the whole time talking about the human ear. So what this tells me is my next episode is going to be featuring the monarch butterfly and its metamorphosis. If you liked the human ear, which I hope you did, you are really, really going to like metamorphosis. Everyone knows a little bit about it. It's cool. You've seen pictures. You've seen videos. You've seen documentaries. We're going to think through those details and say, wait a minute, how did that happen? I know the documentary tell you how it works and what's going on, what we see today. And it's pretty, pretty impressive how they're, able to, how they're able to figure some of this out, the complexity. But they have zero, zero explanation of how all that actually happened over millions of years, undirected forces in nature. So we're going to take a look at it in a very different different angle, very fascinating. And again, just logically thinking through this, I'm not saying, well, it's, it's beautiful, so just believe that God did it. <laughs> I do believe it's beautiful. I do believe that God did it. But it goes much further than that. There's so much evidence that there is no way, there's no natural explanation for what we are going to talk about in the next episode when we get into the monarch butterfly in its metamorphosis. So again, I appreciate you putting up with me, kind of winging all of this, not quite sure how long all of this is going to take, but I think we're covering some interesting topics and we've got a lot more to come. So again, remember to tell a friend about this, to have them tune in. We want to increase our subscribership, so please subscribe. And again, the more reviews you can leave that are positive helps us tremendously as well. So again, Appreciate you hanging in there with me. You you don't want to miss the next one. It's going to be one of the highlights from all of them that we've done so far. It'll be a lot of fun. You'll love it. We'll catch you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.